Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Nordic Entertainment Group Chief Content Officer Philippa Wallerstam, Out TV Chief Executive Brad Danks, Quebecer Content Vice President of Acquisitions and International Distribution Christine Maestracki, and Waterbear Network founder Ellen Windermuth about how local and niche VOD services are holding their ground against the fangs. Content London On Demand, the virtual version of C21's annual international TV conference, is taking place online this year, featuring a range of keynote speakers, panel discussions, case studies and exclusive digital premieres. Last week, Nordic Entertainment Group Chief Content Officer Philippa Wallerstam, OutTV Chief Executive Brad Danks, Quebecer Content Vice President of Acquisitions and International Distribution Christine Maestracki and Waterbear Network founder Ellen Windermuth spoke to me about how local and niche VOD services are holding their ground against the fangs, adapting to an environment in which US studios are hanging on to programme rights for their own streaming services, and what went wrong with Quibi. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Philippa, let's start with you. Give us a quick overview of Nordic Entertainment Group and, in particular, your streaming service, Viaplay. Yes, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Nordic Entertainment Group is um, a media company where, which sort of we have presence across all Nordic markets. Uh, now also Iceland. We have TV channels and radio stations in most of our markets. But as you said, our main priority is, of course, Viaplay, which is our uh, SVOD service. Uh, where we are reaching about 3 million subscribers by the end of this year uh, is the ambition. And I should just say that uh, even though the focus on on this conversation is niche, uh, Viaplay is actually the opposite to a niche service. It's a very broad uh, SVOD uh, service with uh, uh, a very broad content offering as well. Okay, Brad, tell us a little bit about OutTV. Yeah, OutTV was the first LGBTQ channel in the world, launching in 2001 as a linear service. In 2016, we launched a direct consumer SVOD service in Canada, and we've gradually been building that service out across the world by both direct-to-consumer and through a lot of platform distribution. So we like both models as being a linear service. We know the value of having good partners on the distribution side. So we approach both, and it's really very much focused on the LGBTQ community globally. Christine, you're in Montreal. Tell us about Quebecor Content and uh, your on-demand service, Club Illico. So Quebecor Content is the business unit of Quebecor Media, uh, which is a fully integrated media group involved in entertainment, news, sports, and Quebecor content uh, develops, creates, produces content for its platforms, uh, but also to be um, uh, distributed all around the world. We have two main groups. We have, of course, our TVA group, which uh, comprises of one conventional channel and nine specialty channels and an AVOP platform. And we have a telco company called Videotron, uh, through which we offer channel distribution, but also on-demand content with you know uh, free VOD of channels, transactional VOD. And we launched more than seven years ago a very successful SVOD offering called Club Illico. It's not a niche uh, service. It's a very broad service. It is actually the largest selection of French language content from Quebec and foreign studios. It's updated weekly. We have more than 6,000 contents available in there. And it's the number one SVOD platform in Quebec, reaching more than 650,000 households. And it has uh, generated more than half a billion views since its launch 
launch in 2013. It's an impressive catalog of movies, series, children's programs, documentaries, comedy shows, entertainment shows. Um, there is a strong focus on original productions. It's not unusual for those original productions to reach millions of viewings within just a few days. Ellen, the Water Bear Network's launching later this month. Tell us about that proposition. Yes, so uh, I'm Ellen Vindemut. I'm the CEO of a production and distribution company called Off Fence. We are owned by ZDF Enterprises, so we're in the ZDF group. We have a new daughter company called the Water Bear Network, which is really the first uh, fully interactive digital network dedicated to our future on the planet. So what that means is uh, we will be over four quarters telling stories about all 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals to basically have our audience absorb them one by one. So the first launch quarter will start with uh, a chapter on biodiversity. So we're going to have lots of films on biodiversity. We're acquiring short form and long form. We have a TVOD section and we have a free section. And then we'll be building to a quarter on climate a quarter on circularity and a quarter on community. And every time we launch one of these quarters, we launch it in partnership with NGOs. So we have our front page of programming on Water Bear, but we're launching with 80 different NGOs who deal with biodiversity. Then we'll move on to climate and we'll be launching with bespoke NGOs, also a large amount of NGOs that deal with climate. And that's how we're going to build a, a sort of, I think, a very fun way of understanding what the SDGs are and who deals with them. And we're going to give our audiences the opportunity to choose what they feel passionately about so they can find, they can make a choice on which cause are they truly passionate about. They can connect with that cause and become part of it. So 2020 has obviously been a little bit different for you. It's been different for everybody, but this has been a period with the pandemic where we've seen VOD consumption rising exponentially with audiences more and more at home. What's the experience been like for all of you across this period in terms of the way you've seen your your uh, audiences behave and, and the uptake of, of on demand? I think it's sort of two phases in a way. Uh, the first was uh, a huge spike in viewing, a huge spike in subscriptions, and a lot of growth through you know the spring and into the summer for us. But now we're sort of seeing the backside, which is um, real challenges, starting with original programming. You know, a lot of shows that we had scheduled to go in March and April and May have been pushed. Uh, we've been able to get a few things off the ground, but we're running out of content. And the other problem you have as a subscription video on demand service is that you are replenishing at a certain rate that is, you know, sort of traditional. For us, it's 20, 25 new hours a month of new content. Well, when your audience is watching 200 hours a month, they go through the library pretty quickly. And uh, so what we're seeing is a little bit of fatigue, we think, um, and a little bit of a drop off or, a, you know, I watched everything, I'll be back later sort of approach with people. So I think that's uh, in the long run becoming a bit of a problem combined with the lack of uh, new original programming? Uh, I see a slightly different uh, trend, actually. For us, uh, it's, uh, it's of course, been a challenging year, especially when it comes to productions. 
Uh, but when we look at the our subscribers, we have been uh, sort of increasing, of course, a rapid increase uh, in the beginning in, during the spring. Uh, but that has continued. So uh, you can say so we have we normally set a target for ourselves in the beginning of the year to say how many Viaplay subscribers we're going to grow uh, during the year. And that target we've had we have raised several times uh, during this year, uh, and we we are expecting to increase also now in in Q4. So the new target for us is to grow 700,000 uh, customers uh, during 2020, uh, which is significantly more than we first anticipated. Uh, and I think it's kind of uh, why we continue to grow. Uh, it's, it's probably driven by many things. Firstly, uh, we have so much content on our platform. So it's hard, I guess, uh, for, the, for the consumers to run out of something to watch. What they are doing is discovering uh, new types of content that they maybe wouldn't have discovered otherwise. And that we are, of course, uh, working on as much as we can. Uh, for us, uh, producing in the Nordics has, of course, been a bit different to many of the other markets during this year. Uh, we have actually been able to keep most of our productions in Sweden running uh, throughout this time uh, with uh, tons of safety measures and new ways of producing and all of that. But we had problems in, in um, Denmark and Norway, especially uh, in the beginning of spring. So this fall, we've seen a little bit less uh, local content in Denmark and Norway as uh, compared to what we were hoping. Uh, but instead, we've been able to shift them towards the Swedish content that we have produced. So it's a bit of a puzzle. It's a constantly change of plans. Uh, but but it's going in the right direction. And of course, uh, we've also seen opportunities in this time. So we have the best example for us is, of course, one of our Swedish productions that uh, we actually had to pause. Uh, we actually had to pause productions also in Sweden, uh, believe it or not. But one of our productions uh, called Harmonica that is created uh, by Josephine Bornebusch, who is the uh, creator behind our most successful original production, Love Me. Uh, she was uh, about to start recording or she actually started recording her new series Harmonica for us in the spring. Uh, but had to pause uh, because of problems due to uh, to Corona. And she was, of course, depressed like everyone else for a day or two. Uh, and then she decided to actually write the movie instead. Uh, so in three weeks, uh, she wrote a completely COVID-safe movie uh, that was uh, recorded in record time and uh, released on Viaplay the 13th of November. Uh, so that was actually, you know... a a movie that we weren't planning for uh, originally that we got. What about you, Christine? How have things been for you? Yeah, so we have seen an increase in all of our platforms, whether linear or on demand. I mean, we've reached an all-time high of 41% market share for TVA Group uh, in the third quarter of 2020. But I cannot say that the increase for on-demand content itself has been huge. At the beginning of the pandemic, of course, there was a bit of a surge. But, you know, we've been on in the business model of on-demand for more than 17 years now. And on-demand con content consumption has always been very, very high. Uh, just to give you an example, Videotron, who is located in Quebec, which uh, caters to 1.5 million households, is actually the number one on-demand platform throughout Canada. And it's been like that for five years in a row. Granted that 90% of those viewings are being done in French. Add to that the fact that we already had a penetration rate that was very, very high after seven years and a half of existence on our SVOD platform. I was talking about, you know, 650,000, 100,000 households. You can multiply that better certain number of bodies in a household. So uh, it gives us, and we know by these numbers and the fact that the, the viewings have increased, that certainly the, the programming on the platform was very much appreciated by our viewers. 
So there is a longstanding tradition with our viewers to watch content at the time of their choosing and on the platform of their choice. What we have seen, though, and I don't know if it's the case for for Philippa also, but we've seen a shift a little bit in the genres that people are watching. Seems to me that in spring, people were more watching news or certain dramas, and then we shifted more into light and heartwarming, more comedy, more light entertainment shows as the fall set in. It's as if, you know, viewers need to be comforted, to smile, to laugh a little. And of course, our programming was adapted accordingly. So as you pointed out, VOD is obviously, it's not a new phenomenon, but I think as, you know, results from companies like Netflix make clear from from the early period of the pandemic and and from your experiences, Brad, as well, certainly uh, these past nine months have have accelerated that transition, I think, in, in, in many areas. And for you, Ellen, presumably, that's the reason for you deciding to to launch a new VOD network at, at this point and specifically go after the niche that you're going after? I mean, I'd say we've been planning to launch Water Bear for some time. I think the project itself was conceived about 10 years ago, but we knew that as a niche player, we need several kinds of cash backflows. So we actually had to wait for technology to be built that lent itself to really be interactive. The other thing is that, of course, I had to wait for some time to pull together the right consortium of financiers for Water Bear. But it actually came together despite COVID. It it came together really fast once people understood what it was and we had built the actual technology once they saw it. Literally, we signed up all of our financiers in June and we're launching in November. But to pick up on a point that that Brad made, we have had to slow down a little bit on our original productions and we had to acquire a little bit more. So we've we've acquired a little bit more for TVOD and for our free section because Water Bear is for free. Uh, It's not an AVOD model, it's a sponsorship model. So it's a free network for everyone to access. And we're really looking forward to being able to do more production as uh, as we grow. And uh, that includes remote production. So we're, as I said before, we're a documentary production company. So we know people in Brazil and we know people in the Middle East and we know people all over Africa. So that's not in itself the issue, but COVID was definitely tough on production this year. And the, another one of the trends that we've seen has been the proliferation of US studio-backed streamers as well, following Disney+. Plus. Obviously, there's been HBO Max, Peacock as well. So, you know, what impact is that having for all of you? And, and also the fact that those services are increasingly retaining rights to programs they would have otherwise licensed to third parties for powering their own platform. My company, Off the Fence, works with most, if not all of them. We just produced a film called My Octopus Teacher for Netflix. We're working with, in on some level, all the others. They are all large general entertainment platforms. And in many cases, they have one nonfiction app on them. We're interactive and we are about the SDGs. So it doesn't really bother us at all. We can work with any of them. We can co-produce with any of them. And we can work on commissioned production for any of them as well. Is it having a knock-on effect for, for anybody else among you? I think... As Canadians, we're sort of the canary in the coal mine with respect to American platforms. We're sort of the first wave. And 
what we are definitely seeing is a dynamic. And, you know, for our service, our business, we're, you know, part linear, part on demand. And we really started going on the on demand side and focusing on original content because we saw this day coming. But I think the really big shift that everyone has to be watching is that all the premium shows are now going straight to the streaming platforms. We've seen that with Disney Plus, with The Mandalorian. We've seen it with Hamilton. We're now seeing it gradually with uh, some of the other streaming services. So this is going to take down most of the traditional broadcasting systems that have been set up because the better product is now going to be the streaming services. And that's going to accelerate cord cutting. And you know, we've been saying that COVID advanced the system basically two years and two months. And I think that that says both on the streaming side and the positive, but also in the negative in this, uh, certainly in this country with respect to the traditional broadcasting system. So uh, if you're not preparing for the future where those companies are going to be holding on to their rights, you're going to really struggle with your business models going forward. Yeah. So we are in a very unique position. Content we deliver, of course, is in French, uh, be it in original version or dubbed. And uh, Quebec is really known for its strong local culture. These two elements, language and culture, have sort of created a unique local star system that is very dear and very close to our audience's heart. And talent here sometimes has even more uh, reach and resonance than big international stars. And our group has, you know, for several years now, invested heavily in our local industry. And we have close ties and proximity to extremely creative talent. Uh, we also came in into the SVOD space almost eight years ago. And this was well before Netflix and Amazon set foot, even in Canada. Uh, we were able to grow our customer base and very quickly and effectively. And, you know, every year for the past three years, we've renounced more than just 30 original productions on our ESVA platform alone. And if you compare it to big OTT players in Quebec, there's only been one movie that was produced locally. So Club Elico has systematically brought in more money to original productions and helped leverage and create uh, growth in the ESVA space. And we intend to keep continuing that. I mean, even if we're a small territory, we've managed to fence off, you know, the big OTT giants with a rich and diversified offer in all genres and for a large audience. And I think that makes us quite unique in our positioning. In terms of uh, what we've seen this year and the uh, accelerated growth uh, of streaming, uh, I think it's fair to say that we've seen definitely as well. Uh, and one thing that I didn't mention before is, of course, we've seen, we know we knew this was coming. Uh, we've been preparing for it for a very long time. Uh, but this year, um, it's almost like the whole trend is fast forwarded a bit. Uh, that's also why we see the strong growth on Viaplay. So, and what we've seen is actually that we are now tapping into new segments uh, that we weren't probably tapping into before. And, and particularly, actually, the older segment uh, that we weren't really that strong in uh, before. That's, you know, something that we, we have seen. And in terms of um, the globals, our new uh, competitors, it's kind of twofold. If I look at them from securing content to Viaplay, it's definitely not a problem. We've also been focused on local productions for a few years now and we are premiering 30 uh, original scripted productions in the Nordics this year and then of course add a, adding our unscripted productions where we have more than 50 local productions this year. Uh, none of the Globals will ever, ha ever have those aspirations. So in terms of sort of our local uniqueness, we are very different, uh, I, I should say, and that's of course our main strength and why 
we are uh, very strong in the Nordics. Uh, then when it comes to you know securing enough acquired content, because we also complement, of course, our original content with you know strong library, uh, a lot of movies, etc., from the studios. And we have strong relationships with pretty much uh, all of the studios. Um, so I think, yes, we have seen some new entrants, but uh, uh, we shouldn't also... Th- you know, we shouldn't fool ourselves by thinking that they're all planning to go uh, D2C. Uh, so we still, we have no problems of securing uh, very strong content also on the acquired side. And what we are doing is actually working even closer uh, with some of our partners, even co-producing uh, shows together with them in English language. So that's kind of, it's it's almost like new opportunities are opening up. Uh, and again, of course, we have, we're shifting a little bit, maybe working closer to some partners than others, but we still have very strong relationships with the, pretty much all of them and one in in um, just one comment on sort of uh, disney's uh, disney has of course entered the nordics uh, this fall for us our services are so different uh, so it's not really a threat uh, in in terms of uh, like losing subscribers for us it's more of an add-on and it's kind of uh, it's a complement uh, i should say to to the Viaplay service because we are so focused on local a lot of series, so that we do multiple releases every day. So it's it's very different services, and I, I see it's more like an add-on. And uh, we see a strong increase of stacking in the Nordics as well. So people are having multiple subscriptions, and that I think is a trend that we will continue to see. So we can actually work uh, alongside each other. I, I really like what Filipa is saying. If I may, uh, it's very close to what we're seeing on Clubilico. A lot of subscribers actually subscribe to more than one OTT. There's about seventy percent. Of the population that is, you know, that is subscribing to more than one OTT. Uh, in Quebec, I think it's more than 20% of households that have, that have actually subscriptions to more than three or more uh, OTT services. So there is space for a different uh, offering. And because we have such a broad offering focused uh, primarily on original projections, but also with foreign acquisitions of big brands, it plays up very well. And I don't think that there's another proposal like that in the market. But it does seem that in order to, to remain distinctive and, and, and different from anything else that's out there in the market, that inevitably involves a greater push into original content. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's really, for us, we have ramped up our originals substantially in advance of this, because this is what we really felt. So those who have original content and compelling opportunities will continue to survive and potentially thrive in the new environment. But if your business is reliant on acquisitions, particularly from the big studios, I think you're more vulnerable. Uh, Because if you look at your original productions, that's kind of what makes you stand out. For us, that's what drives sales. Uh, That's what makes people uh, actually subscribe to Viaplay in the first place and even knowing about us. Uh, and once they have joined, sort of when, once they are a subscriber, then we need some acquired content to make them stay. Uh, but that content is kind of easier to replace or sort of it's uh, it doesn't matter if it's from that studio or the other studio. Uh, that we can actually uh, work with different scenarios. But of course, we need the, the strong uh, differentiator to get them in in the first place. And that is uh, with original content. So if we can look, at a, look ahead a little bit to uh, 2021 and hopefully a, a happier, 2021 all around or a very a very different one and and ideally an environment in which you're able to achieve the goals and and you know the production pipelines that you would aim for what i mean what sorts of programming is sort of uh, your target at the moment you know are you changing at all the way in which you're approaching programming given the audiences perhaps want to see a different kind of 
programming and and you know are you also looking at working with partners in a different way can you each give us a few a few headlines and a few insights into your programming strategies uh, looking to the next 12 months for us the strategy uh, remains mostly the same it is a mix of original productions and acquisitions we're uniquely placed because we have so many platforms and we do have a multi-platform strategy and you know which allows us to bring more than 80 new original productions year after year throughout all of our platforms. But we are seeking new voices and unique talent. We have a lot of projects in development, a lot of them that have been gridlit. Um, they're very ambitious, uh, dollar-wise, and uh, we can't wait to announce those to the content markets. But, you know, it's really uh, bringing great storytelling and quality of talent that will reach, like, new heights. And we're certainly open to uh, new financing models, uh, participation, opportunities for collaboration, even co-productions. Uh, we have a, an affiliate uh, company, which is called Incendo, that is very much involved in co-production uh, in Canada and around the world. And uh, for us, it's really keeping our strategy, the focus on original productions, and of course, acquiring those brands on the acquisition side, but mostly maybe in whether it's premium content, exclusive content, or second or third window. But as Filipa said, uh, these are more um, interchangeable brands uh, that we can have on the service that complement our original production. Our platform is about knowing your niche. And I think that the other panelists have expressed that really well. If you have a certain language or if you have a certain culture, you need to express really the best of your world. And as long as you invite people into your world where they can feel comfortable, they will be a very loyal audience. So we're absolutely situated to do the same. We would like to invite our audience into our world of sustainable development goals, of, you know, human rights, of biodiversity, of all these documentary themes where people don't get enough production for purpose, production for impact. But the impact production business is a distinct business. And so far, there has not been a platform completely dedicated to it. So I feel that, one, we have to stay very loyal to our niche, which are the people that are interested in programming about this. And I think we overlap a tiny bit with Brad because, of course, LGBTQ is a, a big subject for Water Bear as well. We're building to that I think, in the uh, fourth quarter of next year. But it will be driven by original production. The production has to be unique. And I think like the other services, it has to feel like us. And if you, I think if you uh, start a niche player that way and you invite people into a world and that world does have a look and feel that people feel comfortable with and they have to feel heard in, then you can build from there. The big differentiator, I think, for all of us is that certainly we as a startup are going to have to test before we go to far in any one direction. So we we are starting with this plan. We have a one-year plan, but we'll be testing all the time and we'll be interacting with our audience all the time to make sure that we remain on track. For us, we are planning to have 40 scripted original productions next year. Uh, so per definition, that is uh, quite broad range between the different productions. What's new for 2021 compared to 2020 is um, sort of first and foremost, we're going to have a much more even spread between the countries. Uh, this year has been very Sweden focused, uh, mainly for production reasons, versus we have now been able to catch up also in, in Denmark and Norway. So we have a much more even balance uh, between the different markets. 
it's next year. Uh, and then one other area we're going into, we started just uh, just now in Sweden, but we're going in much bigger next year is Young Adult, uh, where we have a few new shows uh, coming up next year that we are very excited about. And uh, another, and I think also that is, uh, it's, it's a good area to be in because I think that the young adult content uh, can travel uh, relatively easy between uh, different markets. So I'm hoping that our audiences across the Nordics will watch also our neighbor countries' uh, <laughs> respective young adult shows. And another area we're going into that we haven't really done very much of uh, in the past is um, high-end documentaries in different uh, subjects. Uh, very different subjects, actually, uh, across the market. So that's also one sort of big new thing uh, that we are exploring next year. And, and one thing that we're doing actually already now that I'm very excited about uh, is that we are introducing uh, non-English, non-Scandi content to Viaplay. Uh, we've done a bit in the past, just a couple of uh, uh, of shows, but now we're, we are doing it a bit bigger. Uh, so we've had a, a team scouting for the best shows across uh, the globe, <laughs> actually, uh, but it's mostly Europe-focused and to see sort of uh, what can we get uh, in terms of the best from other markets. And I think that's one trend that we've also seen uh, partially created by the global streamers, uh, but also now, uh, this year where it's actually been, you know, production difficulties, that there's so much fantastic content produced in uh, you know local languages that are not just English. And I think the audiences are getting much more receptive to that. Uh, so that I'm super excited about uh, introducing. And some of the shows that uh, that I've seen are really, really high quality. So that is, uh, of course, also one news from us. Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is original production. I mean, we pushed really hard this year. We're distributing more directly into the US right now and have a pretty major launch coming. We've expanded and are expanding further in Australia. A number of other territories We're about to announce a fairly large deal in Europe and we're moving into Europe pretty aggressively as well. All of that requires original production. We can't acquire the rights to shows from the larger studios or for major players and make it affordable. We sort of crossed that threshold a few years ago where we're, our return on investment is better on originals than it is on acquisitions in many cases. Now, we are focusing primarily on unscripted. Uh, the primary reason for that as well is we need more content all the time and it's just easier to make and faster to get to market, which right now is a real concern for us. We do have some uh, scripted shows. They tend to be a little smaller, but the real focus for us is making sure it's extremely authentic content to the LGBT community globally. Uh, we're putting, empowering people more behind the, the camera and the producers and, you know, on the screen. And and we're, we're certainly getting away from a trend from many years ago when it was, when the shows were sort of crossover shows where they would appeal to a larger, broader audience. We have actually found the more specific we are within the community in terms of the storytelling and so on, um, the better we do within the community and sometimes even outside where people are more attracted to seeing something that's very real. Uh, so that I think is the overall thing. And, and um, you know, Again, co-productions, we like to say we're not flexible, we're contortionists. We um, get into all kinds of interesting deals. We've got a really great show we're doing with uh, Vice and Fuse Network in the U.S. right now. We've got other co-productions we're working on in Australia and Europe and the U.S. Uh, so anything that can get us in a position where we can deliver a you know better content and more premium content, we're prepared to do. All with the focus of you know, spreading both our brand and our programming uh, on a global basis. Okay, so all of you clearly got a lot of experience in terms of carving out your either local or niche VOD service. But um, uh, there's plenty of examples around of how not to do it. Uh, there's been a very big one, notably this year, called Quibi. What are the lessons that we can learn from Quibi? And um, what's your kind of take on, on what happened with that service? Uh, as you know, I wrote an article on it. Um, I did that 
that because when we saw Quibi coming out, the thing that we saw immediately was that he was violating one of the rules that we had set, which is that, and I've heard it from the other three as well, even from Christine's company that's very large, is that you're trying to develop uh, an MVP, a minimal viable product at launch. You're using the information you get from your audience to determine, you know, what is the you know, what is the pricing model, which is a big deal. Pricing is really tricky. You know, how much advertising, how much is your subscription fee? And the other thing is, is the type of content that people went to. The big mistake Quibi made was they didn't leave any room to pivot. They basically used up all their runway prior to their launch. And then after launching, they had nowhere to go because their pricing model, I think, was a disaster. And I think also the idea that kids were going to pay that money and watch advertising and watch the shows while standing in line at Starbucks, I thought was, you know, really fanciful right from the beginning. But apart from that, they couldn't stop and say, wait a second, we have to rethink this. They were basically overwhelmed by the amount of money they'd spent on production. And, and that was really a key. And, and so I've said, I think the key lesson is these things take time. You know, it takes a long time. And so someone like Ellen's starting a new venture. She knows it's going to take a long time. She's got to build that audience, you know, and Philippa learns from their audience and what's going better and you test and you try. And that sort of Silicon Valley mentality to building your business is something that sometimes Hollywood forgets. Um, and I said, even the even Disney, I mean, Disney's been planning for this launch of, of Disney Plus for years by, you know, acquiring uh, Marvel and acquiring Star Wars, acquiring that level of content. They, they, they were part of Hulu. They understood the consumer experience. It's not easy to get this right. In fact, I think if you go into it thinking you figured it out, that's probably the biggest failing you can have. You've got to constantly test and think and, and spend time, uh, you know, learning from what you're doing. And that was, I think, at the end of the day, Kobe's biggest mistake. Brad's wise words, you know, are the wise words. Those are the quintessential wise words. That's what we all know. And that is, you don't know your audience until you have it. And when you have it, you have to retain it and you have to interact with it all the time, whether that's pricing or content or look and feel. So I would just uh, summarize it by humility. You just need a, a healthy dose of humility when you run a streaming service. Philippa Wallerstam, Brad Danks, Christine Maestracki and Ellen Windermuth speaking to me as part of Content London On Demand the virtual version of our international TV conference, which continues online throughout this week and is available to C21 Pro subscribers. There'll be more from the event in the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Weddale. Thanks for listening.